You know, I've, I've ever since a young age been really interested in, you know, this piece of mental well-being, this piece of, of health and happiness, because it seemed to me, if folks don't have that going on, that all the extraneous things like wealth and fame and beauty didn't really mean that much if you're still miserable or crying yourself to sleep at night, etc. You are listening to What We Should Have Learned in School. So goals is a really common topic in the world of personal development. Uh, Tony Robbins really popularized this along with many other really successful life coaches. And a lot of times people will cite this study of Yale graduate students and that 3% of the folks that set goals from one of these graduating classes, I think it was like 1953, that they went back years later at the reunion and that this study kind of analyzed that the folks that set goals, the 3% that set goals, were more productive or had more achievements than 97% of the folks combined. Now, the problem with that study is that it never happened. Okay, so that, that, that's, that's a bit interesting in, in a way to think about goals and the way we think of successful people and how that's aligned with goals. So I wanted to share that kind of misnomer off the bat. You know, the next thing I'd really encourage you to do is really get honest with yourself about why you're setting the goal or goals that you have. You know, Oftentimes when I'm working with a client or even just casually in my life with friends and family, you know, people will make a goal for weight loss, let's say. And really behind that a lot of times is folks think that that will give them a lasting boost in self-confidence, right? If I lose 20 pounds or 50 pounds or whatever it is, you know, I'm no longer going to kind of dislike myself or my body. Or, you know, I come across folks that are really setting an intention for Mr. and Mrs. Wright this year. You know, they're, they're so fed up. They've done a lot of work on themselves. But, you know, the last piece to fall is the relationship. They can't find that relationship. And again, often the, the underlying assumption with setting that goal or setting that intention is that finding a relationship will create a lasting feeling of being loved. Now, I don't know about you, but... I've certainly set goals before I've achieved those goals, and they didn't deliver what I imagined that they would deliver. Meaning they didn't create a lasting sense of well-being, of peace of mind, of self-confidence, whatever it is I was looking for. You know, the achievement of the goal didn't create that feeling psychologically. It certainly wasn't lasting. So, for example, I had a goal to get into medical school. I wanted to be a psychiatrist. That was my goal. I did all of the organic chemistry courses. I studied physics until I was blue in the face, and I ended up getting into medical school. Now, what's interesting about that is that I didn't go to medical school. I chose not to go. I listened to my intuition that kind of guided me in a different direction. I began to question, is this really how I want to serve people? Is this really what I believe? And is this really in alignment with what I want to do? Although medication can be incredibly helpful, medication doesn't get to the root of what's going on, right? Medication only helps the symptoms of what's going on. So that's kind of one thing, again, I, I would encourage you to, to analyze is the why of your goals and to kind of beyond yourself a little bit about that. And, and 
and really question, will achieving this goal deliver what I think it will achieve? Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with setting goals. I'm not anti-goal. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. But that, that getting honest with yourself piece first can be immensely helpful and practical in actually guiding you along the path of where you want to go anyway in a more easeful and practical way. So I'll share one more example from my own life in that from as long as I can remember, I've wanted to be a famous singer. And when I got honest with myself about why I wanted to be a famous singer, it had nothing to do with the music. It had everything to do with the fact that I wanted to be liked. I wanted to feel important. I wanted the lifestyle that I thought came with being a famous singer and recording artist. And again, getting honest with that question of why, it's like, well, I looked around and, and people that seemed to have it all on the outside, right? The Whitney Houston's, Amy Winehouse, Marilyn Monroe, Kurt Cobain, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, incredibly talented by our standards and successful people. It seems that they really struggled internally. So when I saw that for myself with the music, it freed up a lot of bandwidth mentally. It, it eased so much pressure off trying to people please or create music just this way or have an image in alignment with this, right? All of my attention that was on things other than music, when I realized that that was why I wanted to do it and I kind of saw the joke was on me, and that I didn't need to be famous to enjoy making music and singing. It, it allowed that space, that space of flow, of being in the zone. Sometimes we call it, athletes call it being in the zone. It allowed that space to occur in my life more often where I could just make music and sing. And ironically, when you're in that space of being in the zone, you tend to perform better. So it's kind of a win-win. It's like life is a little bit more peaceful internally, and your results on the outside actually tend to go further with less effort. How much of success is up to us? So I tend to meet folks on either side of the spectrum. They're kind of on the extremes. I meet people that think that basically their fate is kind of predetermined. I mean, religious sects used to kind of preach this and teach this where, you know, the, these are the folks that you know that smoke cigarettes, but then they'll tell you, oh, I'm going to die anyway. You know, that kind of thing. And the research does now show a very strong relationship between people who smoke and the amount of people who smoke that get cancer. There's also studies about longevity that the people that are smokers tend to have a life expectancy 10 to 25 years less than non-smokers. So my point in all that is to just show that smoking is one example where folks act like they have no control over the outcome, but their actions do play a role in what their future outcomes are. So there's that, th those folks that, that kind of think they have no control and they, these are the people that are always cursing everyone and everything in their lives. Their, their boss is the one that drives them crazy. That's the reason they snap at their wife, et cetera. Then I meet folks on, on the other side of the spectrum where, is where I used to be more of the time, and these are like the overachievers, <laughs> the perfectionists, um, the micromanagers, maybe you do have experience with someone with that personality type at work. Maybe that person is you. And these are the folks that tend to assign too much control to themselves, right? They, they think they can control other people. They think they can control the economic climate around them or the business that they're in. And, and that's not really true, right? It doesn't really work like that. 
So a huge part of success, whatever that looks like for you, is getting a realistic gauge of how much control you really have. So I'll go back to the example of me as a singer. Okay. Now, certainly as a singer, there are things I can do within my music career and to propel my music career forward, right? I can take voice lessons. I can songwrite. I can perform. I can record those songs. I can tour. I can pay to market the songs. But at the end of the day, I can't control how the world receives that music. That isn't up to me. And that can be a really freeing place to create from and to live from because you have fun during the process instead of always in this like tense hustle and bustle of working to get somewhere. And before you've known it, 10 years of your life has gone by. But I, I, I think I want to leave with this. You know, the truth of the matter is that success doesn't happen in a vacuum. There's a really mythological story in American culture kind of about the self-made man or woman, you know, that pulled themselves up by the bootstraps. They, they, they did it all themselves with, with hard work and determination and willpower. Well, even when you look at the biographies of people like the Vanderbilts or the Rockefellers, they had help. There were gatekeepers along the way. They had mentors along the way. They had suppliers, distributors that worked with them, right? So, so we are part of a physical and energetic ecosystem in which we do impact one another, right? And there's one more thing that I, I think I want to share. Aside from highlighting, you know, kind of that myth of, of the self-made man or woman, it's to, again, tying it up in a little bow, go back to the why of why you have set your goals. Because there is the tendency for human beings to never be satisfied. So they've done psychological studies on this. It's called the hedonistic treadmill where they noticed the phenomena that folks tended to return to relatively stable levels of happiness, depending on if they won the lottery and became a millionaire or became paraplegic, right? And you may think that's extreme. How could people's inner world, inner sense of well-being not be affected by those outside events? But what they found is that when people achieve goals, when we normalize to our environment. Humans are extremely adaptable and resilient creatures. What becomes our status quo? Our expectations then rise in tandem with that. So example, I meet the millionaire that wants to make $2 million next year, or the person that just lost 15 pounds but is beating themselves up because they just have to lose that final five pounds, right? If we're really not aware of this, we literally can be caught in a rat race, a hamster wheel, where where the carrot of success and happiness is always going to be just out of reach. And another phenomenon that I tend to see in our really improvement happy culture is that let's say someone finally in one area of their life feels satisfied. So they're finally happy. They're at their ideal body weight. Life is good. I very rarely see people take space to rest, to, to enjoy kind of the fruits of their labor. 
they're very much focusing for the next thing to improve. So now they've got to tackle their debt right away. And again, it becomes kind of this relentless rat race internally where folks are really living from a space of stress and distress and pressure instead of having more moments of ease and connection with others and and connecting with themselves and listening to what their body needs, right? There's stories that we've heard of people that literally work themselves to death. I mean, that's a real phenomenon that happens. Okay, so the homework for today's episode is fairly simple. Take some time today, seriously, and answer these questions for yourself. Get real with yourself. The first one was, why do you want to achieve the goal that you've set for yourself? Meaning, what do you think you'll be able to feel when you achieve the goal that you can't already feel now? And secondly, get honest with yourself about how much control you have when it comes to being successful. I do find that when people get really honest and answer these questions from a more objective kind of logical place, really interesting things start to happen in their life. And I really encourage you to subscribe and keep listening to these podcast episodes in order to really support this new way of thinking and being in the world.